Welcome to the RD2B podcast. Each week we sit down with a different registered dietitian nutritionist to showcase the diversity of opportunity in the dietetics profession. Our aim is to dismantle the notion that there is a traditional career path. I'm Carl Barnes, the registered dietitian behind the scenes of RD2B. And I am Jenna Warnock, the RD2B host. Our RD guests share their stories, career paths, and advice to help students like us succeed in the profession. Welcome back to another week of the RD2B podcast. I'm your registered dietitian host, Carl Barnes. This is our weekly podcast where we sit down with a different registered dietitian nutritionist each week to showcase the diversity of opportunity in the profession. This week, we're actually showcasing a dietetic internship. So we're really excited to be sitting down with Robin Osborne today. She's the dietetic internship director at the VA San Diego Dietetic Internship. Really excited to have you here and learn more about the VA program in San Diego. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. And I'm Jenna, your RD2B host. And so Robin, could you first kind of describe what led you to your position as being the director of VA San Diego's dietetic internship? Sure. Um, I've been in dietetics education, I should say, for a long time. I've been in dietetics for even longer. I was in public health for many years before going into dietetics education. Um, so I went into dietetics education in 1999. My first position was at a small university in Indianapolis uh, as the, di the didactic program director and the coordinated program director. Um, so I was just, you know, working in dietetics ed. In 2011, I learned about uh, that this position was opening up and I had heard about the VA San Diego internship, the dietetic internship for many years as being a really strong, reputable program. And so I applied for it and um, was lucky to be selected. So I've been here since February of 2012. Awesome. So you've definitely, it's been even over 10 years since you've been in the position. And one follow-up question that I always do like to ask with this um, is do you have any like noticeable skills or anything that you transferred from your previous experiences into this role? Um, well, I mean, I think mainly because I had been working in dietetics education, primarily, um, probably most, most of my skills for this particular position was having worked in a coordinated program because coordinated programs are similar in that uh, the supervised practice component is completed during that that program. So I had quite a bit of experience in organizing rotations, collaborating with um, other partners, preceptors. And so uh, that's probably the main thing, uh, in addition to just having worked with students for many years doing um, curriculum development and program planning. So I think that's probably. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that definitely has helped you. And um, especially with how long you've had the position, you've only really grown from there, I'm sure. And so with the VA dietetic internships before 2024, a lot of them have been standalone. Some of them have dabbled in combined masters. But I mean, once we hit 2024, you're either going to need to do a combined master's or you're going to need to have a graduate degree um, yes. going in. And so with your program specifically, how is that going to pan out for you with students? So um, at the present time, we're not um, offering a combined master's uh, program. So for now, we're still just going to continue as a standalone dietetic internship program. So, um, so you're right. In order to be sure that our graduates are eligible to take the exam, 
2024, starting this, this spring for this uh, upcoming spring match or the spring um, application cycle, we will be requiring the graduate degree in order to um, begin the program. I gotcha. And do you have any recommended graduate degrees for applicants or any fields of graduate degrees? Well, that's an interesting question. Of course, the main requirement is that they will also have completed completed a um, sorry, I can't even talk, completed the didactic program. So they'll have to have their DPD program completed. Um, but that's an interesting question, I guess. Uh, I mean, I think probably one of the things that I would look at is if they've completed their DPD prior to doing a graduate degree, how long ago was it completed? Because as a um, as you know, we're uh, uh, our program has an emphasis in medical nutrition therapy, so we want to make sure students are well positioned, and it hasn't been that long since they took MNT. Um, so that might be one of the things that I would look at. But I think in dietetics there are a lot of complementary degrees. Um, so I, um, I'm not sure that one would necessarily stand out over the other. Mm -hmm, definitely. And kind of a little later, we'll definitely delve into the MNT concentration sure. um, to actually describe it. And so speaking of that MSDI option or kind of graduate degrees entering the scope for uh, RDWs and aspiring dietitians, many um, supervised practice programs are transitioning to future education models, graduate programs, and um, a lot of different flexible ways that uh, students can become registered dietitians. And so given your program is still local in San Diego, how do you ensure um, accessibility for um, aspiring registered dietitians to complete your program, especially with costs of a graduate degree, cost of possibly moving and things like that? Yes, um, well, that is true. Um, I mean, I think the advantage of, have it, of it being a local program is all of the supervised practices here. Most of the supervised practice is completed here at the hospital. We do have some um, affiliate rotations. But um, one of the advantages of the VA programs, most of them anyway, um, on ours included, is that we do provide a stipend. Um, I think another very key part is that the VA programs do not require any kind of application fee or tuition. So um, it is true that it can be very expensive to complete all the the training in, in dietetics. Um, but that's one of our advantages is that um, while students would have to move here, and I mean, I, I don't think I could speak about costs without um, acknowledging the fact that it's expensive to live in San Diego, um, but we do provide a stipend. Stipends are gonna be changing for the coming year. Our um, Office of Academic Affiliations for the Veterans Hospitals, uh, that's the office that, that provides all the stipends, um, just announced an increase in stipend. So our stipend for, our, for the coming year is going to be over $21,000 for our 10-month program. Uh, and that's a significant increase. That's about a 65% increase from what it has been for the last several years. Um, still not a lot of money to live on in San Diego. So one of the things that um, I discuss with our with our matched applicants is the possibility of sharing um, you know getting an apartment and sharing with one of the other their other classmates what I find a lot of times is that students have I don't know sometimes how they find other students but um, 
oftentimes will share apartments or share houses, you know, rent a room from someone. Um, so I think probably most of them have to live with someone, whether it's a spouse or a significant other or a, one of our other classmates or, or, you know, another student. There are a lot of students in our area. The VA hospital is um, situated on the campus of UC San Diego. So there are a lot of, there's lots of student housing in our area and a lot of students. So I think it's very easy for them to network. Well, I don't know how easy it is, but um, there is a lot of networking that they do. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question specifically. Oh, no, definitely. And actually mentioning how much the stipend is increasing by, you know, 65% and kind of recommendations you also included for students if they're moving like out of like if they're coming from yes, out yes. of state or not local, kind of right. collaborating and things like that. Yes, and exactly. that kind of prompted me to um, ask a similar question of how much communication do the interns have with each other over the course of the program? Oh, oh, that's a really good question. So um, I will say, uh, let me just make one comment, is um, one of the things, I, I send out lots of materials after the students match. And, and you know, the match is in April. They don't start, our program starts in mid-August. So there's several months that I'm communicating with them that they're onboarding into the VA. And I do provide um, a handout with a lot of information about the neighborhoods in San Diego in proximity to the hospital, links to different kinds of you know apartment finders and various things so i try to provide information to them i um one of the first things i ask them is can i share your contact information with your other fellow matched classmates so i connect them that's probably within a couple of days of the match and so i know they start contacting each other and they develop kind of a group chat that's at least what i've seen the last few years and i have um, zoom calls with them over the summer to just in preparation but yes they get in contact right away they're all on site together pretty much almost every day i mean when they're in their rotations they're not in their rotations together um, but they share an office and um, we have classes, you know, we have an office that they each have their own assigned computer and desk space and everything. So it's a nice office space. We meet um, almost every week, if not every other week or so in a, for a class day. So they're in contact um, a lot. <laughs> they almost live together, uh, you know, for, for the 10 months that they're here and they support yeah. each other quite a bit. Yeah, and I think that's great how you mentioned like they have their own little office space and oh, they're yeah. literally like from what it sounds like they're really just coworkers and oh, yes, you know just absolutely. Mm -hmm, and um just combined with also possibly living with them, I'm sure that they grow really great bonds throughout the duration of the program. Yes, yeah, very tight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with, um, I don't know if you have this number at the top of your head, but do you by any chance know the average number of applicants you get each cycle and then how many you accept? Um, so for the last few years, last three or four years, we've gotten about 80 to 85 applications. Um, we admit six. So, um, you know, the process, it's kind of a, you know, it's a screening process to narrow down to a final pool. Um, but we admit six every year. That's what we're funded for uh, through Office of Academic Affiliations with the VA, and that's what we're accredited for through ASCEND. Um, this year, you know, there's a change in the diecast application platform, so that's a little bit new. Although new applicants wouldn't know, you know, would they wouldn't necessarily know the difference. Um, but then with the graduate program requirement, we're not sure. I think 
when I say we, all of the freestanding dietetic internship program directors probably feel the same. We're not really sure how many we're going to have. Now, interestingly, this morning, I did take a look at the DICAS application. And it looks like um, there were 39 applications in progress right now for our program. So that's encouraging because, you know, I've had some concern that that the um, number of applications might drop off significantly. Um, so I don't know where we're going to end up. It's just January, and you know, there's still several weeks before the application the application closes. But um, I'm I'm guessing maybe we'll end up this year around 50 or so. But um, anyway, yeah, it's good that um, kind of your worries were kind of subsided a bit with the graduate requirements, and but you still having a good amount of applicants. And with what you mentioned with the screening process, are there any specific things that you pick out of applications that you kind of either set aside as a, okay, this is a good trait to kind of keep in mind for this applicant or okay, or one trait that's like, okay, I'm definitely not going to consider them kind of just like both sides of the coin? Well, we try to do a holistic screening process as much as possible. Um, we do have a minimum GPA, and actually I changed that this year. We've had had a 3.2 minimum GPA, and I changed that to 3.0 this year, trying to you know expand it a little bit. Um, so, I mean, that's probably an initial screening point, but I review all applications regardless of what the GPA is. And um, I mean, we we look for a, at a variety of things. Work experience would be one. Um, doesn't have to be necessarily work experience in the field, but I think that's an advantage. I mean, we know that you know students are not going to have clinical experience, but you know, having worked in a hospital or a long-term care facility, even um, in the food service department, volunteering in a hospital. Um, but um, any. I guess one of the things that is important is the student's ability to manage competing demands because it's a very busy program and um, they're, they're scheduled full-time in rotations, but they also have other projects and obligations while they're in the program. So that's probably one of the things. So if they've been working, how are they managing if, they're, if it's a full-time um, course load or not? Um, so we look at that sort of thing. Um, letters of recommendation are very important. So I always, when I'm asked or when I do my open houses, strongly encourage students to be very mindful of who they select or who they request letters from so that it's somebody who, can act, who actually knows them well enough to speak to their preparation and potential for success in whatever kind of program they're applying um, to. Um, because sometimes letters of recommendation are very kind of boilerplate and it looks like they, you know, the letter writer just looked at the, their um, resume. Well, I can do that. You know, I want to know a little bit more. Um, so that's important. Their personal statement is important. Um, what can they tell me in their personal statement that I can't glean from the application itself? Why do they want to come? How have they prepared for the program? Um, so, I mean, I think, so I don't know that there's particular one thing in particular that stands out. I mean, I try to look at, you know, all things, you know, that, that they include, and it can only be what they include. So um, is, is the application complete? Have they left kind of glaring um, spots, you know, that they haven't filled in? So make sure the application's complete and it's consistent throughout, you know, don't assume that there's something on the resume so, I, so they don't have to put it in their application or vice versa. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. 
Oh yeah, it definitely did regarding what you kind of look for. And I mean, it's kind of the holistic approach that you give. They have to also give an equally holistic approach to how they portray themselves. And then um, I'm, it's okay if this is like anecdotal or just things in general, but on the opposite side of if there's any stark things that kind of jump out, you did mention with like having a bland letter of recommendation or um, leaving spots or grammatical errors, but if there's like big red flags that you see that kind of automatically, not, you know, nothing aggressive, but just kind of you see that and you're like, oh, that's not ideal. Um, well, that's an interesting question. I, um, you know, it can be, you know, it can be different things. Sometimes if um, in their personal, you know, if what they're communicating is that, um, you know, the thing that they're really hoping to get out of an internship is not something that we can provide because we are a veterans hospital and we don't have, um, so, so I was gonna say, we don't really have children. We do because I have affiliate rotations. So they do have some rotations with children and adolescents, but we're, we're primarily adults. Um, so, you know, if they're, if they're uncomfortable working with older people, because we do have older, older veterans also, or they, you know, it's, there's something that's just really clear that this, that it would not be a good fit, that I'm concerned that if they came here, they would really not be happy. Um, so something like that, I think, would probably be, and, and it's hard to even, I can't even really think of an example. I mean, sometimes people will say they're interested in working in pediatrics, and that's fine because we've had graduates, you know, leave here and go directly to children's hospitals working in pediatrics. Um, uh, so, you know, that wouldn't necessarily be the case. But if there's just something, um, you know, that stands out. I don't know. That's oh, a difficult yeah. question to answer. Yeah, but I think you mentioning if they clearly write whether it's in their personal statement or their resume history, either if they don't feel like they're either prepared or if they yeah. either have an interest in the rotation. Mm -hmm. Because one thing that I didn't want to talk about is the veteran population and what they primarily see with that medical nutrition therapy concentration. And so with that concentration and with the common population, as you said on your website, mainly being adult men and um, not a lot of pediatrics, but kind of a similar common population with the VA population, what type of interns have you seen enjoy the program the most? Either, you know, from what you've seen on the applications or from what you've heard from interns? Um, so what do they enjoy the most? Uh, is, that what, is that what you mean? So, um, so mm -hmm. it's mainly the like types of interns, like, cause, cause like what you said, if someone's interested in pediatrics, mm -hmm. you, they do get that in um, involvement, but because the VA population is primarily adult men or like, you know, geriatrics, what, yeah. um, what interests an intern has would apply to your program? Well, you know, I think sometimes when they come in, they're not really sure what their area of interest is. They may be interested in a clinical position, so learning more about MNT, or they may be interested in a challenging program. Um, you know, I will say one thing. So yes, the majority of our patients are uh, males, but I looked up some statistics and about 11% of our population is female, and there are more and more women veterans and more and more younger veterans. You know, it's, um, we do have older veterans, but probably the majority more are, are middle-aged or younger. Um, they see probably all of the same kinds of 
complex medical nutrition problems that they're going to see in any clinical setting. Um, we're not a trauma center, but we do. We are a research one facility, and we're a teaching hospital. So they they have exposure to um, not only you know all of the all of the usual suspects, you know, all of the, the same kinds of, of nutrition problems that they're going to see anywhere. So they have a really broad um, exposure to all kinds of clinical problems and complex patients. Um, the other thing I will say about our MNT um, emphasis is, it, uh, is it's actually medical nutrition therapy in inpatient and outpatient settings. So um, about we, our program is 41 weeks and probably about 23 uh, of those weeks is in our clinical rotations. And of those, it's divided pretty evenly between inpatient and outpatient. So they have a really strong training in outpatient um, medical nutrition therapy, and that's primary care um, outpatient, as well as uh, diabetes, renal, oncology, um, liver, we have a liver clinic, spinal cord. So we have a, a lot of um, exposure to outpatient clinics, as well as from an inpatient standpoint, the standard kind of medicine or med surge unit, it's typically called, those are just your normal hospitalized patients for a variety of reasons. They, uh, critical care, spinal cord injury, as I mentioned. So um, they have exposure, again, to all of the same kinds of problems, if not more so. I think spinal cord injury might be a little bit more unique to the veteran population. Um, so, it's, so I think it's just students who really want to have uh, an exposure to a lot of clinical training. But we also have, I have community rotations as, also, uh, as well. So they do a public health rotation, they do a WIC rotation, they do school nutrition. So they're not going to see those populations here at the hospital, but I want to make sure that they have those experiences while they're here. Mm -hmm. And it really sounds like, because like with what I what we talked about before, where um, you said that sometimes interns apply and they aren't really sure yeah, what avenue yeah. they want to go. It really sounds like you still give them a well-rounded experience regardless, because yeah, on paper, it might be like, yeah, the veteran population seems like just this one homogenous, similar, yeah. like you won't, don't see a lot of variety, but mm -hmm. on the contrary, you definitely explained how regardless of this common population, you still get a lot of exposure to different types of MNT, different populations, and mm -hmm. really from what it sounds like, if you want to work in a hospital, or if you have any interest in working in a hospital, it sounds like you definitely check all the boxes of where they could possibly be, and even beyond that in the community road rotations as well. Exactly. Yeah. And they also do um, a, a five-week food service management rotation as well. I don't want to leave that out. So they get um, a, quite a bit of experience if, they, if they're interested in more management administrative positions. And I have graduates go in all of those areas, um, some of whom stay with at our VA or go into other VAs or any place. They, they, they're not required to work at a VA hospital after they graduate from our program. But I have um, graduates go into um, administrative, you know, food service management or just management positions, community positions, clinical positions, um, pediatrics, as I mentioned before. So um, they can pretty much go wherever they want. And I think that's partly due to the reputation that the VA programs have, that we train them well, and they're prepared to go anywhere they want to go. Yeah, and I'm sure that that's probably one reason why a lot of your interns choose your program, but do you have any other common reasons that you've maybe heard from interns or that you've seen as to why they do choose your program? Well, I think the stipend probably has a lot 
to do with it. Um, and I and I can't blame them for that at all. I mean, that's one of the reasons we provide it. I mean, the VA, as I mentioned, the VA or the Veterans Health Administration, um, and maybe I didn't state it this way, but the um, Veterans Health Administration is the largest um, trainer of health professions trainees. So not just in dietetics, but in all of the disciplines. And so another advantage of our program is they, the interns here have an opportunity to interact and collaborate with trainees in all of the various dis health disciplines, as well as um, medical residents and uh, medical interns as well. Um, but getting back to your question, so I think the stipend probably is a, is a big one. I think some of them are interested in clinical training, so they know that they're, you know, they're gonna get that here. Um, I think being in San Diego might be part of the draw. I have students who have come from out of state you know, East Coast that then end up staying in the San Diego area. Um, and I think there are probably quite a few who are, live in the San Diego area and for whatever reason um, need to stay close to home. And so they apply to our program. Um, and I'm sure there are other reasons, but I think those are probably some of the main ones that I hear anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and those all sound like perfectly understandable reasons as to why whether it was because I mean, I've only heard good things about San Diego weather and just like <laughs> how gorgeous it is. And then also, again, the VA, I think another thing, too, that I've heard and like you did mention this is you again, you're not obligated to work for the VA, but you no. do. It does open up the door for working yes. in the VA. Yes. And so like not only the job opportunity, but also, yeah, the rigorous work and really just getting a really quality education. And like with what you mentioned, like um, the VA healthcare system being the biggest trainer for healthcare workers, which I think is really saying something to the education that they get in your program. And yes. so, you, yeah. Well, I was just going to, I was just going to say that that's um, education and training of health professionals is one of the missions of the VA. So you know, I think that's one of the reasons that they dedicate funds and provide stipends to the um, interns, to the trainees. And one of the reasons we probably do it as well as we do. Um, I was also going to say, as far as employment, again, as I mentioned, um, interns are not obligated at all to work for the VA, but certainly we'd like, we would like to retain as many of our graduates as possible. Um, but not just here. Um, we, I, was, I looked it up and I think there are over 150 veterans VA hospitals around the country. And let's see, I jotted down there see, over 150 hospitals and over 1400 community-based outpatient VA clinics. Um, so whether it's you know, staying in San Diego or going back home, wherever that might be, um, there are, there's, always, there's a lot of opportunity. The VA, I don't think the VA is the largest employer of, VA, of dietitians, but we're one of the largest employers of dietitians. Um, yeah, so, especially with those numbers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Yeah, and um, definitely it's, you guys give a lot of support to your interns, both financially and with what you mentioned, with like those weekly or bi-weekly check-ins with the interns. And so are there any other ways or um, common ways that you support your interns throughout the duration of the program? Um, well, I guess to start, the pro, you know, I organize the program in such a way that all of the rotation, the rotation schedules built before they get here. Doesn't mean it doesn't get modified sometimes. Um, you know, if, if a preceptor, you know, is sick or something like that. Um, but I try to keep it as organized as possible for them, so that while they're here, what they have to focus on is learning, and um, you know, 
making progress in the program. So they don't have to second guess what it is they have to do or what's expected of them. Um, the, the rotation schedule's planned. There are various projects um, that they complete, but those um, guidelines are well-developed. Um, but I monitor them very closely. And um, you know, if there's an intern that um, needs to have some additional remedial support, then you know, I'll step in and work with the preceptors if we need to schedule some additional rotations with them. I work very closely with the preceptors. We have very strong preceptors here that work very closely. And um, all of our clinical rotations are one-on-one, -on -one, um, the intern and preceptor. Um, the food service rotation, they are scheduled to, there are two that are scheduled together. So a couple of our rotations, I pair them up. But um, for the most part, they're one-to-one, -one, definitely in the clinical rotations. And so the um, preceptors work very closely with them to, you know, how, what, how do they learn best? What do they want to get out of the rotation? Of course, you know, I have, you know, we have all the competencies and things that they have to meet. Um, but whatever support they need, we'll provide. So again, if it's some additional rotations, um, spending additional time with certain preceptors, um, when they, they do a four-week staff relief toward the end and they can select kind of rank their top choices so that they, if they want to go back to renal to get, because they're interested in renal dietetics, um, they can do that. Um, I mentioned the classes. We do, um, well, in terms of preparing them to graduate, I have classes on resume writing. So I make sure that they have a polished resume before they graduate. I do practice interviewing classes with them so that they're prepared for interviewing. Um, we do um, RD study classes. So, you know, to, to prepare them as much as possible to study for the exam, I would never expect them to graduate and try to take the exam without studying, but, you know, I get them prepared um, to, to begin studying. Um, those are the things that come to mind. And I mean, that is a definitely a hefty list of ways that you support, <laughs> just whether it's with the classes, studying, and also I do find it nice how, because I do feel like with a lot of internships, you don't really, you have a co cohort, of course, you have interns that you're with, but a lot of the times I hear that it's kind of, you feel like you're on your own, or you feel like you don't really have a lot of intern communication, but for you guys, it definitely sounds like you offer support, but you also open the floor to interns supporting each other any way that they need. Yeah, they support one another. As I mentioned before, they share an office. Um, we use Microsoft Teams here, so the, the preceptors communicate all day long um, to one another on Teams. But the precept, the interns also are on those those chats, and so they can communicate with one another, with their preceptors, with me. Um, besides which, their office is just down the hall and around the corner from me. Um, so uh, yes, they, they're not alone. I, I, maybe the only time they might be alone is um, the public health rotation right now and the WIC rotation. Some of that is still remote, uh, just you know, as we're still kind of dealing with the pandemic. Um, so uh, when they have those rotations, I let them work from home so they can work remotely. They don't have to come into their office here if they're doing a remote public health rotation, for example. So there might be, you know, a few weeks um, during the program where they might be working from home because they're working with their preceptor remotely. Um, but aside from that, you know, yes, they, they have a lot of support from, from one another and, you know, from, from us as well.
Mm -hmm, for sure. And I think you have given a really great overview of like the populations that they serve, the different departments that they work under, and also just kind of what uh, aspects of dietetics they work for. And so for one little final question, what advice would you give students interesting, interested in applying to your program or any of the VA program? Um, interested in applying or interested in preparing themselves for the program? Across the board, whether it be they're just thinking about it or if they're actually actively applying right well, if they're actively applying right now, they're at the, toward the end of their program. So hopefully they've prepared themselves you know, up to this point. Um, one of the things, as I mentioned before, is be careful who you select to write your letters because you want to make sure it's somebody who knows you well and is going to write a good letter. Um, you know, I'm sometimes surprised when I get some letters and it's like, ooh. I'm not, you know, you know, <laughs> that's probably not the best person to write their letter. Either they didn't know them or they didn't really have, you know, you want somebody to write a glowing letter for you. So that's probably the main thing. And, and um, when you write your personal statement, again, make sure you're selling yourself and you're telling us something about you that we don't know from your application. And, you know, why are you a great applicant? Make sure you have it proofread so that, you know, make sure you have some, you know, you have other eyes on it besides yours. Um, so I think, you know, for somebody who's applying right now, for students who are thinking about it, and maybe they're, you know, a year or more away, um, think about what kind of work, work or volunteer experience that you want to have. I know that's probably talked a lot, a lot about in DPD programs. Um, one of the things I look for is not so much how many places students have volunteered for, um, like a lot of short volunteer experiences, but you know, is there some longevity to it to really gain some experience or show some kind of more dedication? Yeah, whether it's you know something they're being paid to do, a paid experience or a volunteer experience, if they can get that in a healthcare situation, because we are in a hospital, you know, that can help them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they wouldn't get into the program. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I look at uh, yeah, MNT, um, you know, just, just do as well as you can in your program. I think that's probably one of the main things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think definitely ending on the note of longevity with experiences, then hopping from one to one, that's a really good way to solidify both commitment, dedication, and also really being able to sit and marinate in the skills that you're getting from that experience. Right, right. Yeah, and I think it demonstrates that kind of ability, um, again, that dedication, but, you know, our, that managing, uh, you know, time management, I guess, which is so important. Um, not just our internship, really, really any internship, you know, managing those competing demands. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that there are some students um, who may have other obligations. I was a single mother when I put myself through school. And so my time to do volunteer activity was limited. You know, I was having to try to work and my son was in elementary school and I was in school full time. So I'm very much aware of other um, other obligations that students have. Um, and so, you know, if that's, that's something that someone can talk about in their letter as well, you know, if they want to explain that maybe they don't have a lot of work experience because of other obligations that they have. Um, so again, you know, I mentioned trying to look, do a holistic application review. That's an example. You know, I'm not just looking at 
them as a student, but as a, as a person, what other things have they been doing? Yeah, and I think it was beautiful that you mentioned how you were a single mother while being full-time in school, because I think a lot of our listeners could also relate to that, especially the second career ones. And we have yeah. had guests on before that were also single parents while going through school. Mm-hmm. And so I think that one, that's admirable. Like I could never imagine doing that just first, let alone having kids or anything like that, but also just like going through school through that process. And so I think that's also just a testament of whenever it comes to becoming a registered dietitian, you can still do it regardless of the Absolutely. obstacles. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's a beautiful note to end on for sure. And just thank you so much, Robin, for You're taking time welcome. to talk about your program. Mm-hmm. And also that personal note. Yeah, just thank you so much. You're welcome.